Welcome to Clean Dreams. My name is Troy, and I'm going to take the time to ask you to please pray for me and pray for us. We are here tonight with a room full of people, you know, and I'm so glad to have Alex here today to share his experience, strength, and hope. I also want to welcome Josh to the table, and uh, we hope that something said today, something shared today will help you in your journey in recovery. We're also thankful to have Sean as our executive producer and Justin as his assistant, uh, all here and uh, all in recovery. Recovery is a difficult mountain to climb sometimes. Sometimes we get uh, caught up and we stumble and we block ourselves from receiving the sunlight of the spirit because, you know, we really think we know something. We really think that... uh, You know, our belief system is the belief system. Sometimes when we humble ourselves and get a little smaller, we understand that that's truly not the case, that we are frequently wrong and we are still broken. Even in our brokenness, however, the God that I don't understand still uses me anyway. Even in my brokenness, even in my my character defects. He still finds a way to use me to be a productive member of society and a man in recovery. And the same, I believe, is true uh, with those men that I mentioned uh, just a short time ago. Everyone in this room is here for a reason, and uh, we're here to, to share our experience, strength, and hope, and how to stay sober just one day at a time. And Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Alex. Alex is a gentleman that I've met some years ago, and I really, really love his program. I love the way that he presents. You may not know it yet, but you will laugh at some point (laughs) during this hour. (laughs) No matter how you try to resist, uh, it it more than likely will happen. Um, Every time I've seen Alex, uh, I've always seen the aura of positivity, and he's an inspiring, inspiring young man. So I give you Alex B. Hey, guys. My name is Alex B., and I am an alcoholic. Oh, man. So this is cool. I've never done a podcast before. Um, I'll tell you this. My sobriety date is June 17th, 2008. Uh, I have a home group. Uh, I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor, and I have the opportunity to sponsor other men. And that's that's really why I have – that's the only reason I am still sober today is that I'm, I'm constantly trying to be as, as in service as possible. <laughs> my, uh, my sponsor is as much of a knucklehead as I am, and it's it's pretty funny. He, uh, he always says, you know, he goes, Alex, you know – I'm one of the happiest people in sobriety that I know, but I'm also one of the busiest people in sobriety that I know. And it's just like, that's, that's so, it's so accurate, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff we do in sobriety, but if, if sobriety was boring and glum and lame and all this, these types of things that I thought it was when I first got sober, I wouldn't still be here almost 10 years later. I mean, that's just not me at all. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm hoping basically what I'm going to try to do today is uh, kind of talk about what it was like out there, uh, what happened to me to try to get me sober, and then what it's like now, man. Um, so I'll, I guess we'll start from the beginning. So I was born at some point, and um, <laughs> so what happened there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember too much about my childhood per se, but I do remember the feeling of being just sort of uncomfortable. And I, you know, I don't know where it was, but I remember just kind of, you know, going to school and going to camps and going to this, that, and the other, and just seeing other kids sort of running around and just intuitively knowing what to do. 
And I could never get that because I was just, you know, I didn't have the words for it or anything, but I'd be like, how do y'all know what to just, did I miss that day in second grade or something like that? You know what I mean? Like, how do y'all know what just to intuitively know what to do? I never felt that. I always felt uncomfortable almost in my own skin. I never felt like my skin fit right. I never felt a part of, I always felt apart from, I always felt that there was something just inherently different from me than anybody else. And that feeling honestly carried through for years. I mean, until the first time I got drunk, not even the first time that I tried alcohol, but the first time that I got drunk, it was still there, man. And it's so funny. Like, I mean, the only way I can kind of, <laughs> I can kind of like compare it is like, if you're colorblind, you don't realize what you're missing until you see color. Right. And that's my, that was my exact experience with alcohol. You know, I had, I tried it once, like in my brother's older brother's frat party or something. I was like eight, nine, whatever. And I didn't get it. It was like, this thing tastes like rat piss. It's terrible. I mean, in my defense, it was like, lukewarm natty light from a keg that's already flat you know what i mean so in my defense it was terrible <laughs> to begin with you know what i mean but <laughs> the first time i got drunk i was like pow and something happened man something that makes me characteristically different from my fellows from the hard drink or something happened where all of a sudden i was comfortable in my own skin for the first time in my life and my shoulders came off and my ears and my hands you know let out from fists and all of a sudden, you know, I've heard people say before, I was comfortable doing with what I was doing with the people that I was doing it with in the first time. And I could look you in the eye and I could look you in the eye and I could talk to women and I could do all these things. And I had this crazy feeling of, oh my God, this must be how normal people feel all the time. Because if I felt like this all the time, then I could do what all you guys seem to be able to do. And it was just the most like, it was so euphoric. I was like, oh, I get it. Like, this is what life feels like. Oh, holy cow. You know, and I made the decision to say, well, I'm just going to do this as often as I possibly can because, and that was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something around there. Who knows? Right. And like, obviously that doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and get hammered every single day from then on. But, but as often as I could, man, I went after it, you know, and there was times in my older brother's house, there was times with my friends and it was just like, it was nothing bad happened right at that point. We were just, you know, knucklehead kids running around just being idiots, you know, and it was, it was so much fun at first. I mean, and I, I just, I finally got it. And, you know, right after that, you know, sure there were drugs. We started smoking pot. We started, you know, dropping acid and eating mushrooms and all this kind of crazy stuff. You know, I was kind of like a hippie kid back in the day. So, I, you know, I could get down with that big time. So high school was just really kind of a blur of all that. And I mean, we had some funny, funny times. I mean, like I could tell you some drunk logs. I mean, to the point like I remember, oh, my God. So I remember the first time I, this, this just dawned on me the other day. I remember the first time I was introduced to a chaser and it was like, what is this? And they're like, well, here's the deal. Check this out. You, you drink a little bit of whiskey and then you drink Coke right after that. Swear to God, he can't take the whiskey. And I was like, you are lying. So I was like, well, this is great. You know what I mean? Next day, I, I found out what a blackout was. I woke up in my <laughs> – I woke. This, this is exactly how it went. I woke up like in my basement like, I did not go to sleep here. Did I go to sleep? I don't remember that. And all of a sudden, my car has gone. And my friend had taken my car to go sleep with the girl that I was interested in sleeping with. And I was like, wow, okay, so we're here then. You know, <laughs> this is what chases do. I'm in. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, it's just like knucklehead stuff like that. I remember day drinking in the middle of the day one time, winding up on a farm and trying to ride a non-domesticated emu. That's a real thing that happened. Don't do that. Yeah, when you're six six and you're staring eye to eye with a bird and you're like, I think I'm gonna try to ride this. <laughs> this this is the only thing that makes sense right now. You know what I mean? Like these. <laughs> I was like, I don't. 
don't know the owner of this farm. I don't know where these things are for like Jesus, you know, but like, that's the kind of, and it was so much fun. Like at first, you know, we had, I mean, seriously, if, if alcohol and drugs weren't fun, then I would not have done them for as long as I did. I, I mean, I think we kind of missed that. There's a lot of like doom and gloom with alcohol and it got there for sure. But I think it's, it's funny. Like, I think it's really important to realize like, yeah, it did something until it stopped. Right. And it was it, man. It was my panacea. It was my cure all. It was the thing that made me okay and have fun and be able to join you and, and, and partake in life until all of a sudden, like it got to the point where it stopped doing that. You know, I've heard somebody say that like alcohol gave me wings, but then it took away my sky and I can get down with that. So what happened was it's just this slow little progression. And I remember by like 16 or so, um, I'm drinking in the morning. Cause again, I'm like, well, might as well enjoy the day as much as I can get that feeling. So people would be like, Hey Alex, you know, that's probably not a good thing to do in the mornings. And it's funny. It was like, they were show, they were telling me that in the middle of like drinking sessions, you know what I mean? And of course I'd be like, dude, you know, whatever, you're just drunk, you know, I just avoid it and all that. And then other friends would say things like, you know, you get a little rowdy. And I was playing in a band at this point, and all my bandmates were saying, maybe try to not drink before we go on stage. And I started getting all these little clues at like way, way too young for probably most people. But, um, you know, got into a little bit of trouble towards the end, and I was kind of turning into this little punk ass kid that, you know, just because, you know, I was a good student. I was this and I was that, and I had this huge ego on me, and I just thought, listen, none of you, none of this matters, guys. Like, here's the thing if I, you felt the way I felt sober, then you would drink the way I drink. And, you know, this whole time, you know, I'm at, eighth grade ish, however old you are there, you know, I started getting these things that people called anxiety attacks and I didn't know what they were. I just knew as soon as I got around people, my, my hands would start sweating. I'd start shaking. I'd throw up in the middle of parties and I'd have to blame that on the alcohol, even though I was stone cold sober, you know, and the only thing that fixed that was the drugs and the alcohol. And I had this really great, you know, little thing where I'd be like, all right, smoke a little bit of pot and start that settle the stomach enough for the liquor to actually kind of settle a little bit. And then, you know, the booze would take me through the rest of the night and then I could add in whatever kind of little, you know, outside issues I wanted to on top of that. And I, I know my, my story talks about drugs and a lot of fellowships, they, they kind of mention like, Oh, you know, these are, yeah, these are outside issues and stuff like that. And, you know, the first thing I usually point to is when cert those certain fellowships start talking about outside issues, you know, they're talking about stuff that aren't drugs. Um, if you look at the actual long form of the traditions, but uh, that's it. And like, why would some of our founders talk about being on both? You know, why would some of our founders be social drinkers for nine, 10, 20 years and just doing drugs on the side? So here's the thing, man. I, alcohol and drugs were never my problem. They were always my solution. My problem was as, as an alcoholic, my problem is what it feels like sober. And I don't know what to do with that. You know what I mean? The alcohol and the drugs are the only thing I found that actually solved that until we started getting to, you know, this point in my life where all of a sudden they stopped working. And I was drinking. I mean, I remember going to college at this point and I was drinking absolutely every single day without fail. Drugs in the morning, alcohol at night, whatever I could get my hands on. I remember, I, so I got to college and I, for, for the first time, I could drink the way I would drink with absolutely no distractions. Right? This, is, this is me on my own. And it was crazy because what ended up happening is I got this job at a bar and it was great, right? I was under, I was underage. I could drink at this bar and he was like, yo, check this out. Here's the deal. You can drink on a tab. And then at the end of a pay period, we'll knock 25% off your tab and just take it out of your paycheck. And I was like, oh, we're good. You know what I mean? So I got a paycheck for negative $12 one time. And, 
<laughs> and I remember being like, well, I did order a couple large pizzas. Or That's probably what it was. It was like, I shouldn't get four toppings. Yeah, it was the day. It was, it was the goddamn pizza rolls. Right? It's just, Jesus, they get you every time. That was my thinking, right? You know, and it was just like, oh, it was just insanity, you know? And it's so funny. What happened was like, I got a good clear, but looking back on it, right? Because like, the longer I'm sober, the drunker I realize I was. You know, because you don't realize it in the moment because this is just normal. You know, the the, the big book kind of talks about this whole thing of like the alcohol. To the alcoholic, you, our life seems the only normal one. Well, of course, because it's the only normal feeling I ever got. I'm going to rationalize that as best as I can because as a self-centered person, I'm obsessed with how I feel. And I'm constantly taking my emotional pulse every day. Like even in sobriety, I'm like, how do I feel right now? Could I feel better? Is there anything I need to feel bad about right now? Do I need to think about anything? You know what I mean? That's just how we do it because that's what self-centered people are, are obsessed with. I'm obsessed with how I feel at any given moment. And if I don't feel good, that must mean I need to change something. I need to do something about that right away, right? Because it's too much for me to handle. You know, I heard somebody say the, the natural state of an alcoholic is growing anxiety and depression. That's it. You know, that's what I get. Apart from a spiritual solution, a power from an alcohol and drug solution, that's it. There's no plan. It's either feel better or end up killing myself. There's really no like plan C here, you know? And I don't realize that, but I get to this point, you know, at the end of my drinking where it's this, I get this terrifying, I remember the night it happened. I had this terrifying realization that I was absolutely plastered and the pit in my stomach and the anxiety that I was trying to drink away was still there. And I had no idea what to do at that point. Because I thought, oh my God, what if, what if it stopped working? I've been, I've been leaning on this for years now. It's the only thing that's done it for me. Like, I can't go about life sober. This is, this is too much, you know? And I sure, sure as shit did not just stop drinking right then. And they're like, oh, well, move on to the next thing. No, of course not. I, I, you know, I kept pursuing that and kept pursuing that and kept pursuing that. And, you know, we talk about, we talk a lot about the, uh, uh insanities doing the same thing twice, expecting different results. And I don't agree with that. I think that's delusion. Real insanity is where I got. Real insanity is doing the same thing twice, knowing full well what the result is, is doing it anyway. Because I have no other choice. That's it. I'm powerless over whether I choose to drink or not. And I got to that point. I knew, I remember it was, uh, I was, I had a joint in my hand and I said it was, I was just so hungover. I'm just, just wrecked from the night before saying I'm never going to do that again. I got to just cool it. Not never going to do it, let's be honest. I was like, I need to cool it down for a little bit. You know what I mean? Get the heat off my back. You know what I mean? And this, that, and the other. I got arrested at this point. Like I'm on probation. Still can't not do drugs. Still can't not drink. You know what I mean? Failed a drug test on probation. Still can't not use drugs after that. They told me I had like 10 months of jail in front of me and I, it just, that wasn't enough for me to stop. You know, and I remember looking at this joint and saying, I know what's going to happen if I smoke this. I know that I'm going to be able to like, my, I'm going to smoke it and I'm actually going to be able to throw up for the first time in the morning just to get it out of my system. I might be able to eat a little bit and then the rest of the day I'm going to be hosed. I'm just going to be done. I'm not going to get anything that I need to get done. I'm going to be freaking out about whether I get randomly drug tested yet again. And, all, and, and the worst part is the only thing that I did was just say, and I did it. And all those things happened. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't anything like that. All those things happened. And you know what? They kept happening for months and months and months after that. And that's it, man. I mean, the alcoholic, you know, the hardest part about the first step for me is that it's not about whether, it's not that the alcoholic can't drink again. It's that the alcoholic will drink again. Left with my own devices, I'm going to drink and I'm going to use again because I have no other option. Eventually, sometimes I can get like, 
I, the fear can sober me for a little bit. The remorse can sober me for a little bit. But eventually, guys, sobriety is like a ch- it's like Chinese water torture for me. It's just this little thing in the back of my head that's just slowly whittling away at my willpower. And it's just a small little drop in the back. And I can try to cover it up with, with a job. And I can try to cover it up with spending time with family. I can try to cover it up with being busy and this, that, and the other. But the problem is, and the, and the, the doctor's opinion says it so well, given enough sobriety, I get restless, irritable, and discontent. What that feels like is, you know, restlessness. It's like, I don't know what's wrong right now. I don't know what it is. I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but it's not here. You know what I mean? And I try to connect with you, but I'm one foot out the conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds good. You know, what the, you know whatever. You know, hey, your mom died. Oh my god, that's so bad. You know, they're just like, <laughs> I can't, I can't connect. Right? Something's not right. I'm itchy. My, you know, my skin doesn't fit right. You know, I'm just, I don't know what it is. Something needs to change, but I can't put my finger on it. It's just like an itch too deep to scratch. You know, and. And then I'm irritable and I don't think I'm irritable, right? Cause I, I listen to way too much fish and I, you know what I mean? I like smoke too much pot. I'm not irritable, bro. I go to like, I look at like dead and company shows. I can't be <laughs> irritable if I'm a hippie, get out of here. Right. Until you put me like behind the wheel of a car in Atlanta, you know, or you, all of a sudden I realize I go to my job and I realize, Oh my God, I'm surrounded by stupid people. I'm just surrounded. Everyone, no one knows what they're doing. This is unbelievable. My, even my boss is an idiot. This guy's an asshole and did it. And I can't, you know what I mean? I could, here's a funny thing about it. I could win the lottery one morning and be like, this is great. My life's great. Somebody cuts me off by noon, day's ruined. Like, forget it. I'm done. <laughs> like, that's me. That's me in my natural state, right? And then we got this, the real problem, right, is the discontentedness. And that's what robs me of any joy in life because with all the things that I try to do to get over it besides drink and use, all those things lose their shine. You know, the new girl, that she's going to do it, man. That wears off the new city, the new job, the new apartment, the new anything. It just loses its shine, you know, and, and I'm left with me again. And I ask myself, you know, is this all there is? Is this really what I get? You know, and the problem is, is as soon as then I see other I see other drinkers take those drinks with impunity without consequence. And I think maybe maybe I can do that or better yet. Maybe I don't even think or maybe I say anything's better than this. You know what I mean? I'll roll the dice. I'll play Russian roulette just one more time because I can't stand another second in my own head. I just can't. I need relief right away. And what's crazy about it is after they've succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree. And here's what happens. I start out maybe like having a couple sip, you know, a couple beers, go home real quick. You know what I mean? I start out, I try to be real careful about it, go home. You know what I mean? Well, I'm not going to do drugs because I'm on probation, so I can't do that. I'll just drink and it'll be fine. I'll go home. And what happens over time is all I do is kind of let off the brakes. You know, all I do is start drinking and using the way I would just naturally drink. You know, I can try. Yeah, it'll be like three weeks before my next, you know, meet up. And I can do a little bit here and slowly and slowly and slowly until the point that I'm drinking and using the way I drink and use by nature. And boom, something happens because I do not stop until something happens. And we go through the well-known spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution never to do it again. And that's the only way I'm emerging. Of course I'm going to be remorseful because something had to happen for me to stop. Oh my God, how did I get here again? I told myself I'd never do that. but And I'm, I'm left, I left complete with no rationalization. It's so funny. We ask people like new guys like, so what happened? 
<laughs> what a question. You're insane. How'd this happen? You know, like, that's not going to work, right? It's like, dude, I don't know. Like, I was, I was upset. And then about, you know, whatever. Now I'm arrested. I'm in the hospital chained to a bed. Like, bro, I don't, re- I don't know, man. You know, I just wanted to get laid. Like, come on. Like, that's you it. Tell me. Yeah, exactly. You're the one who's sober. You tell me what, what the hell's going on. You know, like, it's so funny. Are you done? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I thought I was. It's just so funny the things we ask newcomers to come up with. But, you know, it's me. I'm, I'm completely defenseless, completely like just at a loss for words about what to happen. And I remember for the first time in a long time, I was sitting at my parents' house. This is after like the second time I've been to court over my probation, right? And I was I was at a point where I, I knew something was happening because like I had a buddy, my buddy Nia, my roommate in college. He was a hard drinker. He went every step of the way, you know, did the 6 a.m. beer cracks like I did, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what happened to Nia was when he got arrested, he got a DUI. And the judge said, here's what we're going to do. If you stay sober and if you stay clean for a whole year, we're going to wipe it off your record as if it never happened, man. But if you don't, I'm throwing you in jail for the rest of the year. It's like. We can talk about it after the year, but those are my terms. And Neo says, whew, well, I don't want to go to jail. And you know what Neo does? He goes, well, I'm not going to do drugs for an entire year, makes a decision and can actually follow through on that decision. He's like, if I'm going to drink, I'm going to do it very safely. And even though I'm going to be doing it very safely, I'm going to not, if I'm, I'm, if I'm drinking somewhere, I'm staying there the entire night. I look the exact same up into making that decision, right? Even like, I'll do the same thing. You're right. Neo. that's a great idea. But I can't follow through on that. Like, I don't know what happens, right? I heard a speaker say it one time. He's like, I get drunk and feel the need to go somewhere. That's just me. You know, I'm a moving, happening kind of guy, you know? And it's just, that's what I do. Like, I can't follow through on the decision. I, that That's beyond me. And that's the unmanageability, man. Is that, and like, you know, I, again, man, I, as soon as I start drinking, I can't stop it. The problem is, as soon as I'm sober, I don't know what to do with myself. And it's too much. And I'm, I'm like caught between a walk, rock and a hard place. And I just don't know what to do. And for the first time, I got to the point where I was desperate enough to actually pray and ask for help. And it was at some point, I said something really, really, really just, e- just basic, which was like something like, God, I don't know what you want from me. I don't know, but I need a sign. And I think my exact words were like, dude, I need like a fucking like flaming unicorn running across the hood of my car. Like I need something big. Don't, don't hit me with this parable bullshit. Like I'm making demands, you know what I mean? I'm like, here are my terms, God. So there you go. I'm not even talking about getting sober. I'm like, what do I need to do for work? Cause obviously that's going to help me, you know, just like all kinds of stuff. But, but, but it's so funny. A couple weeks later it was June 17th. I get pulled over again. Remember already on probation, already violated that probation. And I get pulled over for drunk driving. And I remember thinking, I can't, believe it. I'm right back in that headspace. I can't believe this happened again. All every bit of my effort was put into trying to do right and trying to do good. And I can't even do this. And I remember, I mean, I wasn't thinking of that prayer at all. Of course not. But something was, I remember that, you know, I don't know if you guys have been arrested. I'm sure not. But, um, you know, they take your shoes and they take your belt and all that kind of stuff. And they give you the nose, those nice little orange slip-ons and stuff like that. And something was uh, something was written on the slip-on that I cut that trigger. And I was like, oh, my God, that prayer. That's right. And I came home. I called my dad and he bailed me out. And I came back to my, my room. And it's funny. I had all these. So I was one of those like intellectual guys, you know what I mean? If you just know enough, you'll be fine. That's, and it's so funny because self-knowledge, you know, it feels powerful. 
It feels so powerful, but nothing could be further from the truth. So I had all these books, right? I had like a Bible. I had a Quran. I had Socrates' Nicomachean Ethics. I had like Rene Descartes' Meditations on First Flight. I'd read like five pages probably total of all these books, right? You know what I mean? Like five max. But I was, I just, see, I have these. I'm smart. And I'm just like, no one's in my, I'm just trying to convince myself that, well, there you go. You got to be a smart guy, you know? And I was, remember, I was just like, I came home and I was like, I think this has to do with that not a bitch prayer that I did, but I made another, made up some more terms. I was like, all right, God, looked at the clock or looked at the date. I was like, June 17th, 617. All right, here's the deal. I'm going to pull one of these books off. All right. I'm going to look for a chapter six. I'm going to go 17 lines down. Are you listening? And if that means anything, then maybe I'll believe you had something to do with this, right? So I pulled one down, ran it through a chapter six, hit it 17, and it said, I remember to this day, it said, though we were once slaves to sin, we have broken our chains and are now slaves to righteousness. And I went, damn. <laughs> Two out of three. You know, I went back, right? Because that's not good enough. Oh, to give up, man. You know, the next one, same thing. You know, I mean, I tried another one. The next one was like a like an offering of guilt over the things that we've done, and just these crazy signs, right? And I'd been to these, I'd been to these stupid AA meetings that you were telling me about, and I just hated them because I was like, oh god. Because here's my idea. I always come up with these great grand ideas, right? These ideas of how things are. I don't check with anyone, right? I just think I'm the expert on it automatically. So I'm like, here's what here's what AA meetings are a bunch of old guys talking about Vietnam and like you know, scruffy they all an alcoholic somebody who lived under a bridge and they're all just you know biting at each other and crust barking and all that and that's what an AA meeting is right and I was like well there you go I'm not going to that you know and I so I went to some because the courts told me I had to before then and like some of them were I'll be honest some of them were exactly that you know and I couldn't fit in you know what I mean some of them weren't but some of them were but you know I remember this young guy told me something and it was so crazy because they said things that I've already mentioned right they said like I don't remember the last time sober that I felt okay you know I don't remember up until getting my first drink and my first drug that I felt okay and I was like oh my god this guy's like this guy's putting into words the way I felt that I've, I've never been able to materialize. I've never been able to describe that. It's just something that's always been here, you know? How'd this guy know? I thought I was the only one, right? I thought it was terminally unique. Because remember, I don't feel a part of. I feel apart from. I must be the only person who feels like that. Self-centered alcoholic. This is just me. I'm the only one who feels like that. So, you know, when this, when all that happened, man, I, I knew where to turn. And you know, it's so funny. Like, I would, a lot like, like, like you know, um, Bill Wilson. Yeah. I, I had kind of one of those white light spiritual experiences at first. You know, there's so funny in the fine print of AA, right? It's, it's terrible. They talk about this, this, this whole William James varieties of religious experience thing. And it's kind of this book about how different people have, you know, come to this, this working relationship with God. Right. It's in the fine print It kind of sucks, but it says, you know, there's two things about a spiritual experience that, that they don't tell you. One is like, it never happens to somebody when they're doing good. Like, no one's like, oh, I won the lottery and found Jesus. Like, that never happens, right? Not a chance, right? It's always when someone's not doing good. And the other part, which is the hardest part about staying sober, is those spiritual experiences, temporary. And it'll tell you that, which is a pain in the ass, right? And that's why, Doc, you know, Bill Wilson talks about this whole day at Winchester Cathedral that he had. He had much moved. He had a spiritual experience. But that didn't keep him sober. And no, that's the thing. Like I had this white light experience and it was crazy. And I, I got into AA and it was so amazing. And I had such a, I got linked up with a couple of young people that was as crazy as I was. And I mean, 
dude, this is what it look. This, this is what Alex. This is what Alex B looked like, totally and completely sober, uh, in his own accord, going to meetings. It was hilarious. I had to get picked up by this girl. This very attractive girl said, "Would you like to go to eighty-one eleven? I was like, uh, "Yes, I would." Yeah, I have no idea what eighty-one eleven is. Right? No idea. It's called a clubhouse. I was thinking there was like foosball tables and stuff like that. Like, not. I had no idea what to expect. Right? So we go. We're like Blair and Dragula by Rob Zombie the whole way, just like headbanging. You know what I mean? We're like stop into the gas station. We grab those thermos cans of monsters because they had like just came out. Right? So we're like, you know, pop this. There's like smoke coming out. We're like, it's perfect. You know, blow that off. Drink like the whole thing before like an 8 p.m. meeting. Just showing up, vibrating everywhere. You know, like sitting in the front row because that's where my sponsor told me to go. He said, you're going to sit in the front row because front row people stay sober. And I was like, we're going to go sit in the front row. You know what I mean? We're like sitting there. It's like half of them are candlelight meetings, right? And like, you know, they shut the light off. They try to shut the light. We're like glowing in the dark at this point. You know what I mean? Radioactive. So they can do that. You know what I mean? And people would be like, how do you like the meeting? It was awesome. I love it. You know, they, the poor people would make a share in the meeting. We'd be like, the promises are coming true in my life. You know, just losing our mind, right? You know, and just, just acting like absolute idiots, right? But we were all, there was, a, there was just this group of us that were young. There was three main guys and then the kind of a, you know, a periphery group. And to be like, dude, what do you want to do after the meeting? Be like, we could do stuff after the meeting. Yeah, we can do stuff. All right, let's go. What are we going to do? We're going to go to Waffle House. Let's go to Waffle I love Waffle House. We're going to go to Waffle House. So like we had the meeting after the meeting at Waffle House right for 45 minutes and we were all bantering with the wait staff because they all knew us and we were laughing until our tears were falling down our eyes we're gonna throw up the all-star special we just ate right (laughs) you know and then 30 minutes outside of the waffle house smoking cigarettes and stuff and it's just like what do you want to do now i don't know what are we gonna do you know let's go to will's house and and watch scary movies until four in the morning it sounds amazing you know so we're like now we're you know there and it's just like and it's just and it's so funny right because i remember like people talk about the spiritual life and i again Thinking I know what to do. I know what a spiritual life looks like. It's going to be boring. It's going to be pious. It's going to be lame. It's going to be those weird people at the church camps and the kumbaya bullshit. And it's going to be, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be those people that kind of look at you a little bit too close. You know what I mean? Like the the uninterrupted stare. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? One day at a time. I'm like, could you not? Like, it's giving me the creeps. You're like undressing me with your like. That's what I thought a spiritual person looked like, and I was like, if that's what it's gonna be, I'm good, bro. And my, yeah, exactly. Bank. <laughs> Just like, you know, it's not going to work for me, bro. You know what I mean? And I'm like, it's so funny. It was just because, because that's what I think, right? And I remember, you know, being like, well, I'm going to have to probably like, if this spiritual thing is the only thing, it's going to suck, but maybe I'll have to like, I'll get there at some point. I remember telling my, my sponsors like, this is what we're doing and this, that, and the other. And it's just like, it's going to suck when all this ends and I have to be spiritually. He's like, well, what are you doing? What are your feet doing? I'm like, I mean, I'm calling you every day. Oh, okay. You're going to meetings? Yeah. Like every day right now. It's good. You, you making friends you making fellowship yeah absolutely you're trying to help somebody out yeah i mean if they're new and like there's not a cute girl after the meeting that i want to talk to sure i'll help somebody he's like all right change that around but yeah he's like but you're trying to help people you're doing that he's like you're meeting up with me before the meeting and doing step work sounds like you're living a spiritual life but even though we're making like irreverent you know terrible jokes and staying up until super sounds like it man he's like but that's not what spirituality looks like he's like you don't get it. There's no dogma here, is there? There's no dogma. It's Listen, all we want to do is give you – we don't want to tell you how to live your life. All we want to do is give you a life to live. That's it. You go manifest what that looks like however you want. And that's what it is. My spiritual – and it made step two so easy. And it made the way this, this whole thing goes. is like my, my higher power personally, and none of us really agree on it, but my higher power is this whole idea that like – 
it's just something that has my back throughout the day that usually teaches me teaches me lessons in like really dark humored ways, you know. And it's just because that's perfect for me, right? And I remember saying that like again, my sobriety date's June seventeenth, six seventeen. I remember talking to a sponsor of mine who was still sober, which is crazy. He's got a different sponsor because he moved away, but he was like abhorrently atheist just like no this is not a, which i get like i wish i could be atheist but you got to be like really religiously atheist to do that you know what i mean there's like a certain panache in being atheist like i don't need a god to explain my world <laughs> you know what i mean but i was just like too lazy to be that atheist right he was not he got me beat so he's like well what is this whole and he's like well then what does god look like if you can't like put a, a definition around i was like i don't know man it's just I mean, things happen that you kind of go huh that's weird. And that's what, that's all that got like, a spiritual program kind of looks like at first. And he was like, and that's it. And I told him, I was like, yeah, this is my experience when I got sober, six seventeen, da da da. And I was kind of explained and went through the whole thing. And he just kind of looks at me with the blank stare. He goes, you said your sobriety date is June 17th. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, Oh, mine too. You know, I was like, Oh, that's weird. He goes, that's kind of weird. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> hold on to that. You know what I mean? Just a little cracks and being like, huh, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And I left contact, man. I got just a little something to this. Maybe, maybe I'll come back again. Maybe I'll try this one more day. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll hang out with these guys a little bit longer, you know? And that's what I did, man. And it was, it was incredible, you know? And at first, it was just we were so rambunctious and just crazy. And we went to this 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 international conference for young people in AA, and it was at Atlanta. And I was like ten months sober, and then it was like I went to the Marriott Marquis downtown, and there were three thousand young people just acting a fool in this thing. We didn't sleep for like three days. Police got called because someone was like on the roof, like "What's up?" Like you can't do that. You know what I mean? It was just all. It was just so much fun, right? It was just. I mean, I had no idea I could feel that way sober. And I started realizing as I was just working these steps that I did not think had anything to do with staying sober and feeling good, right? It was like sprinkling fairy dust on my problems. Like, this is stupid, but it's just, it's very scientific. You do the work and you see the result. That's it. That's all you got to do. And you're like, oh, wow. And it was always funny. When I finally got that feeling, like, you know, it's like, ah, oh, shit, this works. And I was so, I was almost bitter about it. I was like, man, I really wanted this to not work. Cause I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Now I'm wrong about things. And like, but I mean, that's what sobriety, like you were talking about, man, sobriety has just been a constant thing of me being wrong, you know? And thank God for that. Cause if I was right all the time, I'd be dead by now. You know? And you know what happened? I was telling you these, these, these spiritual experiences are temporary and they're contingent on the work that I'm doing that day. And what happened at about, Oh, 10, 11 months sober as I met this girl. Yeah, you, know, you, you ever meet the girl? Yeah, I mean, uh huh. Yeah, let me tell you about the girl. This is, this is nowhere in the book. This is my little experience. Do you know what I mean? My little opinion. So feel free to disregard it. But here's the thing about the girl. Um, you do this thing where you say, like, I've never felt this way before. I just, you know, you're talking to your sponsor. I've just never felt this way before, man. I don't know what it is. It's like, all right, let's back up for a second here. As alcoholics and drug addicts, we're trying our hardest to numb any feelings we got besides the good ones for as long as we can, right? We come into we, we come into sobriety and we've never just it's not that you've never felt this way about someone before. It's just that you've never felt before, right? <laughs> That's what it is. I never felt this way. No. And I mean, it could have been anyone that's pretty, you know, but like, I don't realize that. Right. So I'm on like ninth step. I'm starting to make some amends. My sponsor relapses and I'm like, oh my God, I need to get a new sponsor. 
but I got this really pretty girl that I want to spend some time with. You know what I mean? And what is it going to mean to her if I'm not spending all the time in the world? Because you see this thing, all of a sudden my fears are starting to creep back. Like, right? I want people to like me so bad and I want this chick to like me because I like her so much. And I think to myself, well, whatever I need to do to control this situation and to make her feel like I'm her prince charming, then I'll do that. Like, here's the thing. I'm great at this, right? I will make any woman feel like I'm their prince charming and I'll kill myself in the process. Like, that's just who I am. It doesn't matter who I actually am, anything like that. I'll just present to you a stage character or whatever it is that I think I need to do to, for you to like me, right? Which is the problem because I'm like two steps away from reality. Not only am I not myself, now I'm what I think this person, like I'm not even what the person actually wants. I'm just what I think this person wants. Already established my head as a total, just, just every, it's all fucked up there, right? So anyway, I'm relying on that again, right? And I start slowly kind of stepping away from my program. Like, well, I don't need to get a new sponsor. He's going to ask me to do stuff, you know? I can slowly, all my friends are starting, some of my friends are relapsing too at this point, right? And I'm like, well, I don't need to get new friends. And I just slowly, I don't need to go to this meeting. I can make it a couple weeks. I can make it this, that, and the other. And the two years, I remember I was like, I came to a meeting. I was like, oh my God, I was expecting a chip and like, no one has a chip for me. Well, no, no shit. You know, I haven't been to a meeting in probably a month, right? I'm slowly starting to pull away. And the problem is, is, it's crazy at about two and a half years over. And this is when life is going great, by the way. At the, at the point when I'm starting to pull away, I'm employed. Me and this girl at 21 had bought a house. We had two cars in the garage. Two and a half years sober, I'm un, unemployable. Not only unemployed, but unemployable because I'm so miserable. I'm so anxious and so depressed. As miserable, anxious, and depressed as the day I walked in because I stopped doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I understood when we say, you know, in the first step that our lives have become unmanageable, dash. In other words, as a completely separate thought from alcohol, our life had become unmanageable, you know, and I'm miserable. And I remember looking at my fiance at the time, right? Because that was going to fix the relationship. I remember looking at her. You ever done that move? Jesus. And I remember saying to her, listen, I feel like drinking. I just, I can't handle it, right? I, I don't know what to do. And she looks at me dead in the eye and she goes, then drink. Because anything is better than the way you are right now. And you know what? That sounds like what a bitch, right? But she was absolutely right. She All she knew is like, whatever this is going on, it needs to, it needs to get fixed. She saw it. She felt it and she knew exactly where I was, right? And I was like, okay. And you know, it's funny. I went to the store and I had alcohol in my hand wondering if I should buy it or not. And the thought was placed in my head as maybe try this AA thing one more time. You know, maybe just one more time. And, you know, I, I, I did, man. I went back to 8111 and I, I heard this guy that I'd never seen before, like, like at the, to be a discussion leader. And he, and he came out of the book and it was in the way that I'd never experienced before. He talked about the book with, with experience, with experience. He talked about it with depth and weight. You know what I mean? We talk about in the doctor's opinion, this whole idea that, you know, a higher power must come, you know, it must have depth and weight. That's the message that can interest and hold the alcoholic, right? Women interest me, you know, they don't hold me here. You know what I mean? Fun times and going out and, and partying until four in the morning completely sober interests me, but it's not going to hold me. The fellowship's not going to hold me here. What it, What's going to interest and hold me is a solution with depth and weight, and that's what he had. And depth, I really, I believe depth is, a, is the knowledge of the solution and weight is his experience, and that's what he had on me. And I heard somebody speaking with conviction. I went, okay, I'm going to ask this guy to sponsor me. And the relationship was like almost over, so I'm, I mean, I, I had to move out of that place and it was hard and it was painful and I want to do all these things. He said, no, just, just work on get work on your program, get to meetings, 
try to help somebody else and I did. And you know, it's funny. Did it, did it feel good at the time? No, 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 very no. There it's felt very, I was like, I can't be bothered with this. You know what I mean? Like you ever done this move? Things are going bad. And you're like, guys, I know you want me to go out to eat after this man, but I need to, there, I have a lot of stuff going home. I, did, I just need to go home and think about this for a while. You know Ooh. what I mean? I just need to think this one through. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Bad news. But that's where I was like, you know, and he was like, no, you're coming out to this diner and you're going to eat shitty food with us. And you're going to talk to this guy that you don't want to talk to and do all these things you don't want to do. And I'm like, Fucker. Right, this is fine. You know what I mean? And I'm just like angrily talking to newcomers and they're like <laughs> talking to their problems. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should try calling your sponsor or something. That's helped me. Is that what you did? Yeah. That's what, and I just like, and all of a sudden this newcomer is like slowly like taking me out of myself. Right. It's so funny. You want, if you find yourself stick steering away from the program, it's amazing what a good seeing eye newcomer will do. You know what I mean? You work with somebody else, they will bring you back into this program, like right into the fold without even trying to. And that's exactly what I had, you know, a seeing eye newcomer, a seeing eye newcomer man, you know, so I got back into it, man. And I got back into it hard and we went through it. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I'll tell you what. So many people, we talk about like, you know, the four step and this, and the inventory process was so uncomfortable. Right. But like, I, I talked about what happened to me and my sponsor was like, yeah. And you know what I mean? We, we have this running joke in my sponsorship family and it's so funny. I, I tell us like, you know, sponsor, sponsor, you're sitting there doing their four step and everything like that. And you know, at the very end the sponsor asks, you know, is there anything else? And the sponsor goes, Mm, mm, that's that's it that's all i got you know and the sponsor's like you sure about that because he's like sweating profusely and you know what i mean and it's just like mm. and you see his you know eyes are starting to swell up and stuff like that and, he, and the sponsor's finally like just spit it out man and he goes oh my god all right fine listen i haven't told anyone about this and i promised myself i'd never tell anyone about this but when i was 15 i fucked a chicken <laughs> and the sponsor kind of yawns and just kind of creaks his neck and goes all right well did your chicken die too <laughs> and that's what the fourth step's about man like i told my sponsor i was like listen get prepared it's gonna get weird and uh, a sponsor at the time was this guy named john he's still my sponsor today and john goes yeah here's the thing alex and this is how he talks he always has a dip in his mouth here's the thing alex here's the thing if i could add any one line to the big book, right? It would be right in the middle of the fifth step somewhere. You know what I mean? Right in the middle of the fifth step. It would just, in the middle of a paragraph, doesn't matter where, because it's totally going to be non sequitur anyway. It's just going to say, look, man, everyone's kissed a dick. And then just move on, right? <laughs> 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 like god john you're absolutely right right i was like all right so this is gonna be real easy man you know that's been my experience with new guys too i'll talk to they'll say like i did this and i'm like well did you do this too and they're like huh like, you can go further with that it. yeah he was like you gotta follow it up man don't finish the drill and they're like y'all you're fucked up man and I was like, well there you go and welcome to the club right and it's just like all of a sudden it's funny when i did my first like real honest and thorough fourth step and fifth step i sat down at a park afterwards doing my six and seven and for the first time in forever, my head was quiet. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a rat race up here. I was like, oh my God, it was quiet. Nothing. That's big talk for a guy. That's a tall order for a guy like me. And I went to a meeting that night and for the first time I felt like, you know, you go to AA meetings, you can go to AA meetings, right? But up until after that, I felt like I was a member. You know, I really finally felt like I belonged there. We went out in this nine step whole situation and 
you know, listen, I've heard a lot of people say that they had this this wonderful, powerful experience with the nine step and scales have fallen from their eyes and la di da, la di da, la di da, right? And to be honest with you, that was not my experience going through the force the nine step. My ego is way too high. You know what I mean? I was way too embarrassed to say like it was wrong with me and what can I do to make it right? That was a very humbling and felt like humiliating experience, right? It's funny, the word humble, humiliating, human, they all have the same root word. It's the word, the Latin word humus, which means earth. And it's all about this, this whole humbling experience is about bringing you down to just earth level and just leveling yourself and being able to see eye to eye with somebody. Instead of like, as an alcoholic, listen, man, I'm the king of being better than you or worse than you. You know, I've heard I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, that, which is crazy because not only can I feel better than or worse than you, but I can feel both at the exact same time. Insanely, I can be both at the exact same time. I'll just listen to it and be like, hey, I'm, I'm absolutely right. You know what I mean? But after that, I can, I can kind of look you guys in the eye, not unlike the way that alcohol and drugs used to make me feel. And, you know, it was uncomfortable and people would be like, did you feel anything? How about that? I bet you felt really good. I'm like, honestly, no. You know, I don't get it. What's the big deal? But my sponsor said, he's like, that's not like clearing the wreckage of the past is like the first thing. Now you're amending your behavior. You're changing it. You're going to go on and make living amends to these people. And that's what I found to be the real meat and potatoes of this thing is like, you know, I'll give you an example. At about six years sober, I was just living the dream, working, you know what I mean? Dude, I've got a few sponsees and I'm doing this. I'm going to meetings and I'm being of service and I think life's just awesome. And I get a really difficult call. I get a call from my older brother saying, hey, listen, mom's got cancer. They found spots on her liver and uh, we don't know how long she's going to be here. You know, heavy shit. What do you do in sobriety when life hits you? What do you do when, you know, the the concept the, the the circumstances of your life make you feel bad you know and you're saying you go to your sponsor and you say like what do i do what do i do what do i do and it's just like listen man sometimes if you don't feel good in sobriety sometimes that's just an indicator that you're not a sociopath that's it do the work anyway i promise that the the, the the feeling will pass if you continue to do the work but there's no really ifs ands or buts about it you know a guy that i really respect in aa told me that listen when you get so, when God got me sober, he didn't open the gates of heaven and let me in. He opened the gates of hell and let me out. You know, I don't get a free pass on this thing, right? Because I think a spiritual, I think a spiritual experience means that I'm just going to feel, life is just going to feel like a low level orgasm at all times. I'm just going to be sitting around like, <sighs> like, how's it going? So great. More likely. You know, hmm, I just think I'm going to sit around being euphoric and that's not necessarily the case, right? So all of a sudden, like, I'm like, what do I do, sponsor, you know? And he goes, just show up, man. Show up and be a son. Just show up and be a son regardless of how you feel about it. And you know what's the crazy part about it is I got to be the guy, the youngest kid, right? The, the crazy alcoholic got to be the kid taking my mom to chemo. You know what I mean? He got to be the guy having the hard conversation, the hallway conversations. If y'all if y'all ever been there, like little quiet conversations in the hallway. What do we do about this? How long does she have? I got to be the one to have that conversation. I got to be the one to have the conversation with my siblings saying mom's only got three to six weeks. That's it. I got to be the one having the conversation with my mom saying, listen, if it if it's too hard and you feel like you need to go, then go. We'll be okay. Not like, I, you think I did that on my own? You think I have the power to do that? Absolutely not. I'm the guy getting fucked up behind the dumpster if something like that happens. No, no, you guys showed me how to do that. My higher power got me the power to do that. I remember, you know, it was crazy. The, the week before she died, I remember June, June 17th, my sobriety day. I remember looking up at the clock every day at 617 
And I remember thinking, oh my God, how cool is it that God can be here even when I feel like this? You know, and there's been a lot of prayers that I've had to say, hey God, help me do the right thing even when I feel like this. And we're looking at 617 every single day and I got a call, it was a Friday. And I got a call from my family saying, hey, listen, you got to come. I don't know how long she's, I think she's, I don't think she'll make it through the night. And, uh, you know, I love talking about spirituality and AA because y'all get how crazy I am and y'all get, and it's, it's really weird for me to do it with people outside of AA, even still sometimes now. But um, my, my fiance, different girl, you know, like now I'm married to this like super amazing woman that's like, I, who actually knows who I am. I'm honest with, who to thunk, right? And she, remember, she's my fiance at the time. And she says, just go, listen, just go to your mom and say she's not, she was between realms this point she just says just go to her and say listen if it's your time to go it's okay but if you can and you're able to give me a sign that you're going to be okay and i did that and i did not like doing it man and what's what's crazy is we all left at about two in the morning and um we got a call the next morning saying listen um mom passed sometime between 6 15 and 6 20 that morning i mean how do you how do you thank a program that does that how do you thank people that get you to the point where you can just, you can experience something like that, man? You know, and it's like, that's what, that's what living in men's looks like. Being able to be there in the real hard times where you never think about it. You never think this program has anything to do with when you feel like that. Being able to show up and just being a walking, talking big book for someone who's never seen, never stepped foot in an AA meeting. Being a representative of what this program can do. All right. And I mean, what does living in men's look like with the rest of my family? My dad and my siblings all asked me to do the eulogy. Not my brother who started his own companies making, you know, three, four or five hundred grand a year. Not that guy. It was very respect. Not my sister who is by anyone's measure as good of a mom as my mom was. No, the crazy, erratic, erstwhile alcoholic. Right. And I said, I was like, I mean, of course I'll do it. But why? And here's the crazy thing. My dad, again, never maybe been to one meeting, maybe just as like support and goes, well, because we all feel like you speak with the language of the heart. Didn't even know the connection, man. Didn't even know it. More God shots, man. More little God shots. And I just did that, man. And it was an incredible experience and it was hard. Yeah, God, it was hard. It was so hard. But you know what? People told me things that I really, I really related to, you know, they said, you know, listen, don't forget God never takes anyone away, but he does receive them. And there's that little difference just this little little tiny difference you know and they said like sometimes a soul grows so full of love and compassion that the only thing that can that can hold them while they still grow is a heavenly spirit that's it only that's the only thing they can that they're the only thing they're resolved to do you know and i felt that way i mean i love my mom to death you know and it's mother's day today so it's really cool that i get to kind of talk about this and you know more god shots happen man i remember um you know, there was a girl that I was uh, instructed to not make amends to because I, I did some pretty I, I, I did some pretty harmful stuff to her, some pretty sexually harmful things, and I was told, okay, I'm not going to avoid it. And it's what's crazy was I had seen her on Facebook. We were cordial enough to be Facebook friends and stuff like that, and we had a couple likes and stuff like that. But um, she was with a guy that um, you know she was just absolutely head over heels for. And he ended up passing away at like 24 tragically from a car accident or something. Not even like our kind of death, just a car accident randomly. And, you know, it's a couple months later. And I remember feeling moved enough to be like, you know, her name was Annie. And be like, and just reaching out to her and be like, hey, listen, you know, I know we haven't talked in a while. And I'm so sorry. My mom just passed. I know it's really, really hard. Here's a couple things they told me. 
You know what I mean? And she says, oh my God, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It meant a lot. And a couple of weeks later, she says, hey, listen, you know, I wanted you to see it. We just wrote Hunter's obituary and I wanted you to see it. And those couple little lines that I mentioned, you know, just to her in passing, because y'all told me it, right? Just a couple lines ended up in his obituary. It's like, that's the power. That's the ripple effect of this amends process. That's the, that's what it feels like to just be a little tiny chain in this thing. And it, the, the effect that some stupid program in my head has, can have on like everyone around you is just incredible. You know, there's, it talks about like the, the alcoholic illness can involve those around us as no other illness can. What's crazy about it, the spiritual solution, the, you know, the selfless acts that we do in here can have the exact, the exact same in the other way. Like it affect the people around you as no other thing can. You know, if you just, if you're just awakening up and you just try a little bit to get involved in this thing, man. And you know, it's hard. And it was, you know, I, I made it through sober that, you know, and like, that's not, I, I, it was too big for me to do, but y'all told me how, and I leaned into you, you know, and, and I continued to do what I did. I sponsored other guys, you know, I was of service to my home group, I, all that. And, you know, you know, we, we talk about like 10 and 11 and 12 and, you know, those are kind of like people call it the maintenance steps. I kind of call them the growth steps. You know what I mean? It was like, cause it's basically a summation of steps one through nine. How can you not grow practicing one through nine on a daily basis? You know, and step 10 is just what I do throughout the day to try to be connected to my higher power. That's it. You know what I mean? They're like, Hey, listen, shit's going to come up when it does do these things. I'm like, All right. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And step 11, you know, I was, <laughs> I was real shady about this whole medit- this prayer and meditation thing because I was like, I tried to meditate because I heard people talking about it in meetings, like sitting quietly and this, that, and the other. And I was like, all right, I'll go sit quietly in my own head for an extended period of time. That sounds great. So like I tried it and totally had just a panic attack about it. I was like, oh my God. You know what I mean? I told my sponsor, I was like, this meditation thing is whack, bro. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. And he's like, well, let's look at the book. And he's like, there's very specific instructions in the book about what meditation is. He was like, I know a lot of times we, when we hear the word meditation, we think of something very Eastern, very, you know, like the lotus position and the om and the, to- the you know, the orange togas and all that kind of stuff. In the 1930s, when the big book was written, very different meaning. Pre- meditation just meant to think deeply upon something. It's like, what do, you, what do we call first degree murder when someone's thought about it? Premeditated, right? That's the definition we're talking about. You know, it doesn't have to be sitting quietly or anything like that. What it says is there's a there's a good set of instructions. You know, there's some prayers. There's some, hey, God, help me think about the rest of the day. And all it is is thinking deeply upon the day ahead of me and getting God involved. I'm real good at like, all right, this is what I need to do. And just leaving God by my bedside and going about my day. Real bad about that. That's why I stepped in. But if you can do that and I can come back throughout the day and just kind of go through again in step 11, what happened and how I was, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid, all these two different types of things, then... It's amazing what happens, man. I go out throughout the day and I'm actually useful. You know what I mean? I'm not spending energy just trying to arrange life to suit myself. And I'm not, you know, as anxious and as angry and as fearful or anything like that, man. And like, you know, I heard somebody, uh, another speaker talk about this, this guy named Al S. And he was like, he always talked about resting your head on the now pillow. That's what he called. Rest your head on the now pillow, man. Because that's the only place life can occur, right? And this other guy talked about like, live between the snaps. Live between there, man. Get right in there because that's the only place life can occur, man. That's it. As alcoholics and drug addicts, we, we try so hard to get ourselves out of that moment because that moment is too much for us. I need to get 
out as fast and as quickly as possible. What I do in AA is I come in here and I, I do enough work to actually that I can live in the moment because that's the only time, that's the only place life can occur is in the moment right now. Can't be of service, you know, yesterday. Can't be of service tomorrow, but I can be of service right now. You know, I can't forgive you once I'm done. I can't do this. I can't sponsor people as soon as I'm done with school, but I can do it right now. And, and step 10 and step 11 are the only reason I can live in the moment going forward, man. And, you know, step 12 is really, I mean, here's the thing. I will, I will say this. If you're doing steps 1 through 11 and you're not trying to practice these principles in all your affairs and give that, you know, your solution to another alcoholic, just shove the first 11 steps up your ass. Because it's just, I mean, like, it's not going to do anything, man. It's not going to do anything unless you're giving it away. Nothing. I mean, AA is the only place in the world you can come in an ego mate. You can come in a hot shot and work your way up to being a servant. It's the only place, right? And that's all we're doing, man. Is, I mean, the experience of seeing the light go on in a newcomer's eyes when you say, like, this is what we mean by an alcoholic. This is what we mean by, this is why when you're sober, it feels terrible. Because I think, right, when I was new, it's a perfectly plausible idea that like an alcoholic is someone whose life gets better when they stop drinking. Not the fact for me. I feel like it might look better, but all that craziness that was on the outside just funnels itself on the inside. You know, it talks about we're alcoholic is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is a perfect thing. Cause like that book, we think of like the 1950s version that we're all like, where Dr. Jekyll is like this nice, mild mannered guy and all that. And Mr. Hyde's this terrible monster. Right. And the 1930s when the book was written, we didn't have the movie, right? We all had was the book by Robert Louis Stevenson, who was in fact him himself an alcoholic. Right. And in that book, it wasn't necessarily the case. Dr. Jekyll was kind of this reclusive kind of pensive, you know, ostracized guy on the kind of the periphery of society. We just kind of watch the town from afar. Right. And then he makes this weird elixir or whatever, trying to solve his problem. And he becomes Mr. Hyde. He just terrorizes. He comes alive, joins other people and terrorizes them. And at the very end of the book, when they find out it's Dr. Jekyll as Mr. Hyde, he says something really, really powerful for us. He goes, I know I've done terrible, tragic things as Mr. Hyde, but I like me better this way. I like me better this way. And that's the hardest part about being an alcoholic is, yeah, all these bad things happen, but I like me better when I have alcohol and drugs, because I don't know what it's, I don't know what a spiritual experience can feel like. What you get as a result of these steps, man, is not unlike what alcohol and drugs just do for me. It's like, you get kind of the spiritual buzz, man, and you get to enjoy life and be present and be accountable and lean on a solution that's not going to bite you in the ass every single time you try to lean on it, man. If you continue to do this thing, and I know it's, I know it's uncomfortable, man. I really do. It's, it's never, it's sometimes it's just not fun, especially at first. It's just not, man. But stick around, stay with us, and you'll be amazed at what happened. I'll tell you a little bit about me, you know. Like I said, you know, I met this amazing girl, and, you know, I was honest and thorough with her, and like, you know, I discovered some pretty, really powerful stuff in my inventory process. Like, I'm so guilty of, of going into relationships with somebody and just being like, well, uh, here's what I need out of the relationship because I need to feel good and here's what I'm doing. Here's what I need and I'll just control the situation and control myself and manipulate this other person into getting whatever it is that I want. You know what I mean? And be completely just unaware of that person's agenda in the relationship, right? Completely unaware of this person probably wants to get to know the real me. You know what I mean? And that's not me looking for a partner. What that is, that's me looking for a drink with two legs. That's it, man. I'm just looking for a drink. I'm just looking for something to make me feel okay. You know what I mean? And I discover that and I ask God to help me with it. And all of a sudden, this, this chick that's been kind of in my life for a couple of years as a friend, I see her kind of with a new pair of glasses. I'm like, this person's like really, 
we got a connection here. You know, and I'm starting to feel the feel spiritual buzz, right? I'm like, we got a connection. This is incredible. And I go out and we start dating and we start getting to know each other and really like honestly getting when I have, I'm comfortable, I bring it up to her in an honest and constructive way, right? Because like the truth without compassion is just cruelty, right? So you got to go about truth with some compassion. I get to learn how to do that. And all of a sudden, you know, we get married and we're, you know, we have this house and we have this amazing life and it's just like way better than anything I can think of, right? I mean, she's got a crude, sick sense of humor, just like me. I'm, I'm six six. She's six foot. It's great. I mean, I just love it. You know what I mean? And like, I have a great relationship with my parents. I got sober. Was failing out of school when I got sober. Right now, not only did I graduate undergrad, I have a master's degree. And how, how about that? In applied statistics. Who does that? You know what I mean? Like, I tell people that I have a degree in applied statistics, and they're like. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, wow, that sounds like they just hear it. And they're like, that's so nerdy. I just regained my virginity. You know that? Like, that's what just happened to me. I can't unhear that. I can't unhear that. That just hurts. I got a migraine thinking about it. You know what I mean? That's what you get when you get sober, man. And I have like this job and it's cool and it's awesome. And I have like my dream job as of now. I just started it and it's just incredible. I get to like lead this analytics team and this, this new, co this company that I just absolutely love. And it's, it's so powerful. Right. And I have like a, a gaggle of guys that I sponsor and they're all just nuts. I mean, they're all absolutely insane. They, Oh my God, I'm, this is going to sound, but they stick their dicks in the wrong things. Just all the time. That's just all they do. They just like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like, Oh my God. They're so like the, th the, the, the situations. The yeah. Like who gets a call from a sponsor? Like, so I might've started a forest fire. I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, you're like, sorry, bro. You know, just like the most ridiculous things you hear from your sponsees are just, I mean, you can't help but stay sober when you listen to your sponsees problems. You're just like, how did you, how did you get into this man? Like, and it's just so funny, man. I mean, thank God. Cause that's, that's it. Right. God shows me, he, he reveals himself to me in ridiculously dark humored, irreverent ways. Cause that's the type of person that I am. And I promise you, even if you're not that way in sobriety, you will find a higher power that speaks to you. Right. Cause here's the thing, right. They talk about it. We agnostics, our idea of a higher power has always been in us. You know, it's always been there. Your idea is not going to change. We're not going to change. We're not going to give you anything. Like my, my grand sponsor always says, he goes, Alex, AA is not going to give you a higher power. It's just not. So get that out of your head right now. But the good news is, is like, why do you need something that you already have? All I'm doing today is removing enough of the shit that's in the way of me and that higher power, right? That's it. That's why we talk about like the removal of character defects in step seven, right? It's just, it's not God growing. This is not a God growing program. It is an ego reduction program. All we're trying to do is get a little bit, like tomorrow, God's not going to be bigger. Right. For me, it's just not going to happen. Over the last almost 10 years, right. God's not grown. I've just shrunk. I've gotten smaller. Right. And I've realized that, Hey, maybe he should be in control. Right. It's funny. We talk about let go and let God. I heard that all the time when I was new and I was like, what does that mean? And I was like, just let go and let God. Oh, okay. I'll let go. And let... So I go home and be like, okay, there you go. You know, like, did I do it? You know what I mean? And I told my sponsor that and he was like, what are you talking Like, why would you get it's, like, it's not about letting go and letting God. Here's the thing. You got to, you got to realize something, Alex, all you're doing, especially at step three, right? Is surrendering to the idea that you never had control in the first place. That's what you're really doing. It's just getting your head around that. This whole idea that you had any control of what's going on. It's just nonsense, man. Absolutely. The alcoholic way of trying to just convince ourselves that we're bigger than we are. So we're just reducing that through this program, man. And it's amazing. I'll tell you this, my skin fits today. You know, I, I find peace, which is impossible for a guy like me.
more often than not, I'm at peace with myself. You know what I mean? More often than not, I'm of use to other people. And it's, it's, it's an absolutely incredible experience if you just stick around and let it happen for you because I'm nothing special. I'm absolutely nothing special. This entire room is full of people like me that have the exact same experience. So come out, try it, and, you know, see what happens. And that's all I got, man. Oh, man. That was awesome, Alex. I mean, you know, the, the whole dichotomy between the, the mystery of this program and, and the misery of the way I think, you know, and letting that misery go, let it go, is something that I have to do every day. Those are my choices. I have to choose either misery or mystery of this program, these steps, the sponsorship, you know, sponsees, oh God, meetings, you know, but that is the, the bread and butter that I get from this program. I already know where, where the misery is going to lead. I know how that's going to end up, you know, and it's not that I worry about, oh my God, I, I, I'll pick up again and I won't be able to stop. I know I'm going to stop. I'm, I either will be stopped or <laughs> be killed. Right. You know? So I know how that's going to end up. But this mystery that has been exposed to me through this program of recovery is so, uh, is, is so overwhelming sometimes in a spiritual manner that knowing that I'm now moving in the spiritual realm in itself brings me a little bit more joy than I had yesterday. You know what I mean? makes me a little bit more buoyant to whatever life throws at me. Good days and bad days. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's the question that my sponsors sometimes ask me. Are you here for relief or are you here for recovery? Right? You know what I mean? Relief's real easy. I can run into a bedroom and get relief. You know what I mean? I can run into this and that or the other. If I'm just trying to get the quick fix, even in sobriety, it's like sometimes you got to do some action that seems uncomfortable and very inconvenient. You know what I mean? That's what recovery is. That's the permanent side of this thing. Yeah. Well, we're all in recovery. Sean, what do you got? kind of floored man um thank you so much for being here i feel um really fortunate to hear your story you mentioned um a couple of things that i thought were really interesting so you talked about um you know it's only a matter of time before you want to drink again or you drink again and you were kind of right there um you're about two and a half years sober you're in the liquor store you have that bottle in your hand and i know so many of us come to that point whether they're in the program or out of the program um you know not wanting to drink but having that kind of mental conversation can you share um, some of the tools that you used to keep yourself from that relapse and subsequent relapses? Like what are, what are the tools you learned um, to kind of keep you sober? Yeah, man. I mean, the hardest part really is like, I don't know what it, it's, it's again, it's, it's gotta be ego, right? We think people, here's the thing. I really think my sponsor calls it the second surrender. Everyone in sobriety gets to this point where you were with years sober brought to your knees by life itself, absolutely brought to your knees and floored by life itself. And that's when people usually relapse, you know what I mean? Or you realize that like, oh man, this alcohol and drug thing really wasn't the issue. And you're brought into this whole, this, this, this idea of the second surrender where you have kind of this choice to make where you either go back into AA and, and, or, or just, or just leave, man. And the hardest part I think is the ego of saying, I have time sober. I should not be struggling with something like this. You know, I have, I shouldn't feel like this in sobriety. And it's just total bullshit, right? Lean into your network, man. Be vulnerable. The most powerful thing I have really, I think, in AA, especially with new guys, is just the, the, the ability to be vulnerable, right? I don't like telling you guys all the dirty, nasty, petty stuff that happens. It's, that's really my problem, the petty stuff, right? 
I don't like that. I don't like letting you guys know that I'm a total dirt bag, right? But I'm in a room full of dirt bags, man. That's just it. And that's the stuff that's going to be useful. Not the fancy little words that I, I mean, like that helps once you're sober. Easy with the compliments, man. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, do I feel lifted up after that, Chris. Right? What like, a brown nose of you. Right, are. I know, right? I mean, this program, none of, none of the spiritual stuff is new to AA, right? It's just a spiritual program for spiritual retards. Like, we just don't get it until, like, people, other people tar- start talking about it, man. But if you're, if you're in sobriety and you're struggling, man, get honest, right? Get vulnerable. Just humble yourself for a second and be honest because that's, that's, where, that's where it really is, man. You can tap back into this thing like that. But you got to get willing to do some work and it's going to inconvenience you and your spiritual solution will not be convenient. It's just never going to be it. There's not going to be a shortcut, man. There's just not. So the worst part is, by the way, no one told me this. Half measures, they say avail you nothing. I think, I think it's worse than that. I think when you try half measures, you end up getting sicker. And like that's a really terrible thing because you try it and it doesn't work and you get just a little bit sicker and a little bit sicker because that's what happens when people ignore the truth. They just get sicker. You know, try, come in here, do the whole program. Humble yourself enough, inconvenience yourself enough, make the time to do it. And you'll be amazed at what happens. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I remember years ago when uh, the, the word kind of spread that you lost your mom. And, uh, you know, being Mother's Day, I think it's, it's it might be a, an important thing to kind of hover over. Because there are some of us who either listening or even in the room today whose, uh, whose parents or mothers specifically uh, are, suffered, suffered immensely uh, through our addiction. You know, and um, and uh, we, we were unable to, to reconcile that. Sure. You know, help us, uh, those of us who are struggling with that. Man, you're not new. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I showed up to dinner with my parents too too fucked up to use a fork. And flat out just couldn't use it, man. And then those my poor parents had to watch me then leave, drive a car, and go somewhere else. And here's the crazy thing, by the way. Like, oh, I want to point this out. Because remember when I was telling you, you know, staying up till four in the morning sober and just having a great time? Like, I don't do that anymore. And I found out why. Because when I would, I mean, you remember the times, I don't know if you guys, when you were younger, we kind of living at, at home with your parents when you're getting real messed up and you come home at like two in the morning and they're up and you're like, oh, killing my high, mom. You know what I mean? Like, unbelievable. And you th- we think so much that it's like an inconvenience for us or we're going to get caught. We're just worried about us. Never dawned on me that maybe she was up because she couldn't sleep knowing I was out there. Never dawned on me, man. Yeah, looking back on that now that, that my mom's passed and like not realizing that until my mom's passed, yeah, it's really hard thinking like, man, I'm never going to be able to kind of bring that up to her and say, yes, I realize it. You know what I mean? But the truth of the matter is, is like living amends are all they want. You know what I mean? All they want is for us to regain the ability to be a son. And if your parents are still around, the ones that are still around, make it a point like the way I do it, I try to call my dad once a week. You know what I mean? Just to say, hey, what's up? My dad is not a talker. He is not a feeler. He is not a, any of these things, right? He's just, most of the conversation is like, yeah, no, everything's fine. I'm just, you know, working around the house. Was, like, he was so confused when I first did it. He was like, yeah, uh, but do you need anything? Like, so that was his first one. So what's up? What do you need? And I'm like, nothing. He's like, huh? <laughs> he called me for you know? nothing. <laughs> all right, well, bye. Like, that was his thing. He was like, all right, well, I got to go then because I have things to do. I'm like, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, pops, whatever. You know what I mean? But slowly but surely, it's like, 
conversations happen. And I missed a couple Saturday or a couple Sundays. And he's like, yeah, you usually call me on Sunday, don't you? He noticed, right? It didn't sound like he noticed, but he did. You know, little things like that. If you have the ability to do it, but if you don't, man, don't worry. They're, they, they're good. They, all they want to do is watch you succeed. You know what I mean? That's all they want to be able to do. And what's crazy is, right, you come in here and you try to help a newcomer. You have no idea. Just sitting in a room full of alcoholics, you get to be a part of a son coming home. You get to be a part of a dad coming home, a mom getting custody of her kids. You get to be a part of small little miracles like that. It may not happen for you. It might not feel like it's happening for you. You come in here and you try to help somebody else. You have no idea. Somebody who hasn't quite gotten that point, you get to be a part of their of them to being able to do that. And you get to live vicariously through that. If you stick around, if you get if you get tapped into a power that can do that for you. It's it's such an amazing experience. So man, I understand it doesn't feel like it can happen for you, but I promise you that it can. Well, Justin, my associate producer, what what did you glean from from Alex's presence today? Or what questions <clears throat> you might have? Man, Alex, I loved your story. Um, I feel like I can relate a lot to it, especially when you said growing up you didn't feel comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, you know, when you took that first drink, that's when, you know, the aha moment happened and you said, I can live like this forever. For me, I describe it as like, you know, I tried to – I remember the first time I took my drug of choice saying that I want to feel like this every single day and I'll do whatever I can to try right. and do that, even though I knew that was impossible. Right, man. I, I That was my goal. So – you know, later on, you said, you know, you do feel comfortable in your own skin now. How, you know, how did that process go or how did it, how long did it take or? That's a real good know. question. Yeah, man. It, it didn't happen all at once. You know what I mean? But that's it, like, you know, at first it was, you know, hanging out with guys and being crazy and this, that and the other. And I would just kind of think about it like, huh, I didn't think about drinking today. It's kind of weird. You know what I mean? And like, you know, go on and like that didn't just like stop one day and never come back by any means. But I just like, oh, my God, I went a whole day without drinking. You know what I mean? And a little bit later on, it was just little tiny, little tiny victories like, oh, I don't think I thought about drinking all week. You know, and then it was like, God, I don't remember the last time I did think about drinking. This is crazy. Or like big and then big stuff would happen. Right. Like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about drinking when this happened, when I lost my job or when I'm. You know what I mean? When I found some really terrible, found out some really terrible things happened to my sister when, when, when I was sober, right? Like I didn't, I didn't even think about drinking over that, you know? It's just little things like that, man. And just like, yeah, the big stuff right after when I did my fifth step, that was like, oh, wow, this is something. You know what I mean? I felt a little something after my, when I did my third step, like, wow, I really don't have to play director. Like there is something that just has my back regardless. You know what I mean? somebody put me like somebody when i was when i was mentioning that i had some anxiety problems and he was like you know what anxiety really is i was like a medical condition he's like oh yeah i mean yeah of course but you know what anxiety is in the terms of in, in like aa terms and i was like i have no idea he goes it's low-level atheism right? it's just it's just this fundamental idea that nothing's got your back it's just this fundamental idea that absolutely nothing's got your back and you're gonna have to fix this and nothing can be further from the truth nothing so yeah, little stuff, man. It just kind of happens, little raindrops, you know, little sprinkles throughout. And one of these days, you're probably get. it's like walking towards the horizon is what it is. You know, when you're walking towards the horizon, it might not look like you're getting any closer, right? It really might not. But when you turn around, you realize how far you've come. 
So you just continue to do it, man. And it might not, because again, we're alcoholics. We're obsessed with how we feel. If it doesn't feel like I'm doing something, then I must not be doing something. It's like, maybe I should, you know, it's just like, just, just focus on what your sponsor asks you to do, suggests of you to do, do it, and then just see what happens, man. Absolutely. Now, you know, there's, there's a lot of nasty, disgusting things that can occur in the life of a, a man in recovery, in, in the life of any man, yeah. you know. But the strength, I believe, in, in what we do in recovery is that we focus on the solution and we, we actually administer hope, you know. And sitting with us today is a fairly new uh, member to our fellowship, uh, Josh. Now, did you in any way think that you were going to get the amount of hope that you get today? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I was like, I'm bored as hell. No. Is it over? <laughs> Can we eat soon? <laughs> so, um, this journey for me, I know, has been a long journey. I started out uh, when I was 13 using cocaine. And um, Alex is my sponsor right now. And I've, I recently uh, had relapsed. And um, just hearing what he's gone through and experienced in his life, you know, it's, it's very powerful um, hearing his experience. And um, understanding that it is possible to make it through this process if you stick with it. And, and, and seeing, you know, I, I've spent, been able to um, spend some time with Alex and his wife and to see that relationship and to see the house and to see the things that do come into fruition if you work towards those things. And... Um, I've seen, you know, the the joyfulness that Alex has and the impact he has on not only his family, but those in the AA realm and also outside of that, whether that's in the workplace or um, in AA. And, uh, you know, the impact that he has is, is amazing. And, you know, um, seeing that... And just seeing how a higher power can work through someone who's gone through so much and touch multiple people. It's, it's just amazing to me, you know. And um, like for me, I know I grew up with a background. Um, I was a missionary kid. And my parents, you know, the things that they did, you know, I, I grew up knowing that. We need to help other people. And um, I strayed from that for so long. And, and being able to come in contact with an individual like Alex and be brought back into this experience with someone else is, is amazing. Um, it's scary right <laughs> now. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know that... Um, you know, if I continue to do the things that Alex tells me to do on a daily basis, that um, things will get better because they have, you know, um, I just chose to do the opposite 
I chose to take that misery. And um, I know it's completely possible to go through that day because I know what you're talking about when you said, I just, you know, one day I, I stopped drinking and I, I went through a whole day and, you know, I, I could lose my job and I made it through that day without doing the things I used to do. And that that's amazing to me because I've had some of those days too where it's just like, I don't think about using meth or I don't think about using alcohol. So I really gained a lot from hearing that and it's given me a different perspective on who my sponsor is. And so I just really appreciate being able to have this opportunity to come and listen with you guys. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, we, we want to leave you with this and, and anyone who's listening and feeling the way that that uh, Josh just described, we want to let you know that this is available to you. You know, it, it is not a secret that we're looking to hold on to. We're, this secret we're looking to give away. And uh, we, we hope that you continue to tune in, find us on YouTube, and Clean Dreams will be here uh, should you ever need us. You know, I want to thank Alex B. for showing up and showing out. Uh, my, I also like to thank my producer, Sean, and associate producer, Justin, for, for appearing today. And Josh, we definitely want to let you know that, you know, misery now is, a, is an option, but uh, we have other options as well. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in.